You're listening to The Other Half, Conversations with Men on Gender Equality with Kiara Condi. So we have with us today for our episode of the podcast, Zahid. Welcome, Zahid. Zahid Torres Rahman is the founder and CEO of Business Fights Poverty, the world's largest community of professionals passionate about harnessing business for social impact. Business Fights Poverty has launched over 30 collaborative programs on topics ranging from women's economic empowerment and refugee livelihoods to corporate social innovation and embedding the UN Sustainable Development Goals into business. Right now, Business Fights Poverty is convening a global response by business to the COVID-19 pandemic with a focus on supporting the most vulnerable in companies, value chains, communities, and beyond. Prior to founding Business Fights Poverty, Zahid led the private sector and poverty reduction branch at the Treasury in the UK and worked as a consultant at PwC. So welcome, Zahid. We're very, very happy to have you, our first guest at the intersection of business and uh, social development. Great, Kiara. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. I'm very, very, very honored to have you, especially because I've known you for a very long time since I lived in London, worked at the EBRD, which was like 10 years ago or something. And I really enjoyed to see uh, Business Fights Poverty impactful work throughout these years. So I'm very happy to have your point of view on this issue. So Zayed, would you consider yourself a feminist or a promoter of gender equality whatever word or definition resonates with you? Um, so, Kira, I, so I see myself as what I describe as an ally to women and to women's organisations that are fighting mm-hmm. for gender equality. And I think for me at a personal level, that means being very mindful about how I speak to and encourage my own daughters. At a professional level, it means creating an inclusive workplace. And more broadly, it means speaking out and holding men accountable. So yeah, I think ally might be a better description of what I see myself as. Yeah, that's great. Because I think one of the things that I'm trying to get at at this podcast is also how do we create more inclusive definitions and that perhaps the term feminist has does not make everybody feel included at the moment. And there is still some resistance towards the term. So it's, it's, it's something very interesting that is, that is also coming up in, in the podcast. So I really love the way that you framed it, Ally. It's important because we still have a lot of work to go towards gender equality. Did you always feel that way? Or is there something in your life that made you think I must be an ally? So I suppose for me, gender equality has always been important. In fact, I, I find it odd when you know, we're expected to make the case for equality when there is absolutely no case for inequality. But, but anyway, we find ourselves having to make a case for it even, even uh, now. Uh, but I suppose for me personally, when I was younger, my father left home when I was just 11. And uh, so I've always grown up and lived in a female household with very strong female role models, including my grandmother, my mother, my wife, my two daughters, my sister. I studied gender equality at university and then part of my, part of my postgrad. And then I had a number of roles, as you've referred to. Oh, wow. Where, yeah, where I, I, I worked on women's economic empowerment, both in Guyana and then later in the UK at the UK Treasury. And so I've, I've sort of worked in, in that space professionally, but also, you know, my, my daily experience is, is all around that. And, and I think you know, for anyone who does, doesn't see the, the moral case, which yeah, there is one, who is not convinced by that, then there's a very clear economic 
case, which I've seen from my work, in terms of high levels of inequality, the impact of that, the impact of disproportionate caring burden uh, that women take, the impact uh, on businesses when women, women don't return to work or below their school level after having children. So there's, there's all sorts of reasons for why it's important. But actually, Chiara, you know, we were talking about this um, earlier. I think right now, there's an absolutely critical reason why we need to care about gender equality, and that is the impact of COVID-19, which everyone will be feeling in, in mm-hmm. their own personal lives and in their workplaces. But uh, you know, when you think about the impact of COVID-19 from a gender perspective, I think there's lots of reasons that we need to be very worried and very mindful. I mean, for a start, the vast majority of workers in the health and social sector are women. I think the WHO, I was reading up on this, um, about 70% of that category are women. In Hubei, yes. it's like 90% of doctors and nurses are women. So the women are at the front line of this dealing with this pandemic. Then you add on to that the fact that there's going to be a shift away from health resources around reproductive health. And you can imagine all the knock-on effects of that in terms of maternal and neonatal health and, and so on. I think one of the most um, terrifying immediate prospects is the increase in domestic violence. In the UK, I was reading just last week, one of the um, areas in the UK, the police reported a 20% increase in domestic abuse incidents. And, and if you look historically at disasters, it's not unusual to see a 50% increase in domestic violence. And so, you know, it's just, and that's just, an, just that's just one aspect. You can look at other aspects like, for example, um, I was reading about the impact on the garment industry and the fact that 80% of garment workers are women and they are facing destitution when, you know, when supply chains are collapsing because of reduced demand on education and livelihoods. Women are more impacted and girls are more impacted. Schools are closing. It's women who are potentially most affected because they bear, like in some cases, like three times more of the unpaid care burden than men. So in so many different ways, Kiara, I think it's if you weren't concerned about gender up to now, now is the moment to be concerned about gender because the impacts are going to be very disproportionately felt by women, I think. Well, yeah, thank you, Zahid, because I think it's a really important warning bell that we have to be ringing right now because we need to start thinking about these issues right now and how do we respond to them in order to prevent sort of disasters from happening in this sphere as soon as we get out of this health crisis and what kind of society do we want to be living in when this is when this is over and the role that we give women in that society i think is a very very important piece that we should not forget and getting back to your own personal story you know, you obviously you have a very unique personal story because you have been surrounded by a lot of really uh, powerful women in your life. And I'm really curious about your grandmother. I know that she has a she has a very unique story and a very important influence in your life. And how has it shaped you? Yeah, that's true. She's been a massive influence in my life. I mean, in particular, there was a a time when she was, I think, in a early 20s and she was living in Burma at the time uh, with her Anglo-Irish family and I think it was like 1930 something like that and she fell in love with an Indian boy and when she told her parents that she wanted to get married her family and friends were furious and threatened to disown her and and she did it anyway they got married and um, you know remember this wow. was uh, maybe 30 years 30 years before interracial marriage was legalized across the US it was only a few years after 
women have secured the, secured the right to vote in, in her homelands of Ireland and Britain. So just imagining this young woman standing up against deep inequalities of the day, uh, that story for me is a, is a beaming light of inspiration really that, that shines across the generations of my family. And it's been um, a really guiding light for a lot of what I do now. And what happened when she made this decision? What were the repercussions on her life back then? And how did she assume these choices? Yeah, well, it had a massive impact. So she uh, was, was disowned by her friends and the family. And it wasn't until, let's see, maybe yeah, 60 years later that she had the first contact from her last surviving relative. And she died actually about four years after that. So, so uh, it was a massive impact. But I know that even if she had known that, she would have still done it because I think her sense of making that connection uh, of love really was um, something that drove her. And I think, um, and, and it's for that reason why she's so inspiring, I think, for all of us. Yeah, yes. And I, I think we often forget how much, you know, we sort of had to fight for inclusion, fight for our rights, and how all of this is something that we acquired that is is very, very valuable. And sometimes we, we forget the, the path that took us there and, and how valuable it is. Yeah, I can Yeah, and what about your, your own mother? Because she raised you by herself. How has she inspired you? Are there any particular stories that come up? Yeah, so, so you're right. So she, were, she became a single mother quite early her life and um, had to raise my sister and me actually with very little support from my father after they divorced and I, I actually remember vividly that difficult transition she made back into the world of work her lack of confidence her fear but her determination to do that anyway and I think actually if I think about the lessons that I would draw out of that possibly the most important one was that very often in life you just have to make a leap with fear in one hand and courage in the other mm. you just have to do it so she went from working in a very small shop in, the, in our local village, to eventually uh, rise into being a senior HR human resources professional in the National Health Service Hospital near our house. She eventually became a bereavement counsellor. And through all of that, she also got her degree. So she really went from that moment of trepidation at the beginning to really uh, flourishing. You know, that's been quite an important lesson, I think, for all of us. I think another one is that she always, through her life, focused on others and, and was driven by wanted to do whatever she could for others less fortunate. And I think that's another important lesson where, you know, where there's a need, you just got to stand up. And I think right now in the current context, it really is, it's sort of incumbent on all of us to think about what is it we can bring to this issue, whether it's our knowledge or a skill or money or resources or mobilizing our networks of friends and colleagues, or just being, you know, being present for people who are feeling isolated right now. I think just stepping up and doing something is the thing that will define us forever, actually. So it's, um, you know, she did that in her life. She sadly passed away about five years ago, but it's something that I feel also gave us strong foundations for both my sister and, and for me um, that will last our lifetime and, and hopefully something we'll pass on to our own children. Yeah. And speaking about your children, I, you have two daughters who are still young. Has this experience changed you? And have you been very engaged in their upbringing? Yeah, so I was, I've been very lucky. So I, when my first daughter was born, when she turned one, I took a one-year career break. And I was very fortunate to have, a, to, fortunate to have an employer that let me do that. Uh, so my wife went back to work and I, I looked after my mm. daughter. But at the end of the year, I couldn't imagine going back to a normal 
job where I had to go to the office early and get back late and, and so on. So actually, that was part a big part of the driver for why my wife and I started what became Business Fights Property back in the well, nearly 15 years now. And actually, our first policy was to allow anyone who worked with us to work whenever they wanted and wherever they wanted, as long as they did excellent work, because that then freed us, obviously, up to do that in our own life. And um, so my daughter, that daughter is now nearly 16, and my youngest daughter is going to be 11, actually, day after tomorrow. But I've been able to be part of their lives because of this setup, and I think it's really taught me a lot about how you can balance your work and all the other passions you have in your life, uh, whether it's kids or other, other things. And actually, one of the things I, that makes me most proud about the, about the company is that we've now had, I think, 10 babies in the sense of a parent leaving and coming back again after having the baby. So that's, that's um, very, very important to me. Yeah, Zahid, I mean, you were really at the forefront of this. And I'm wondering if this coronavirus uh, revolution uh, if that's one of the positive things that it will bring is is the rethinking of flexibility for the benefit of both parents, not just mothers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm right. So we've you know we've had this pretty flexible policy for our entire 15 years of running the business, and we found very clearly that if you can ele- enable people to combine purposeful work with other passions in their lives, and you know, it's completely possible. It's very motivating for everyone. It means you attract amazing talent and it's more fun. And so for us, it's a no-brainer, but it's amazing how many businesses operate outdated models of requiring their staff to turn up at a certain time, work from an office, and then go home at the end of the day and expect them to be productive in those hours. And I think what this has done, this experience of everyone having to work remotely, has shown people it's possible and hopefully will raise expectations about what it, you know, what should be offered to uh, employees and and yeah so that could be one of the positive things to come out of this actually you're right exactly i've been something that i've been thinking a lot about and something else that i see as a trend is also fathers now becoming more involved in childcare as well because of the corona situation and that could also be something that might change society a bit if we are able to harness it in the right way Yes. That's, that's also something that, that's interesting me a lot these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, going back on that, I would really like to know about your experience because you, you took a um, paternity leave, which was already very rare in our society still. And you did that many, many, many years ago. And can you tell us a bit more about that and you know why you made that choice and what you learned out of it? Because I think what people don't realize it's also that it's a learning experience for people to to do that and it's not just taking time off of work yeah i mean first first of all i'd say to any parent or person who's thinking of being a parent the early years of your child in fact the entire life of your child it just whizzes by and you can never repeat it and it's invaluable and you um you can't put a price on that and the fact that i was able to spend that time with my daughters I, I treasure that. So, so it's it's if you're thinking about a business case, there there is a massive case for finding a way to combine that. And I know I know all parents would love to do that, and often they can't. So, so I know I've been very lucky to be able to. But I think for employers, they should recognise how much more motivated and engaged their staff can be, and how they can access more talent by being more flexible. So, 
But for me, back to your question, I think for me, my, so my wife um, was lucky herself. She took a year maternity leave from her employer and I, I was able to sort of observe the lovely interaction she was having with our, our baby at the time. And I wanted to um, be part of that more actively. And so, um, so I, asked, I, I sort of took the decision to do that and I, I knew very quickly it was the absolutely right decision. I have to say one of the things I found hardest was actually being accepted by the other mothers, actually, having done that. So I would go to the park with my daughter and go to coffee afternoon and stuff. And it was always, and I, I was often excluded from things that the mothers would organize. You know, I remember turning up once at, at a dinner party because it was for all of the parents who were active looking after the kids. And, and, and I went with my wife. And uh, when we arrived, they looked at me and said, oh, we didn't know you were coming. Um, <laughs> and, and so it was very, very much, um, and I was as one other father who was, who was also, who was just looking after their, their kids full time. And, and I think I had a very similar experience. And um, so there is a sort of almost a gender stereotype the other way, uh, which is quite hard to deal with as, as a male looking after kids and um, is, I guess, equally important to deal with as a society. But um, so that was quite a shock, you know, having made that decision then to, to feel that it was just, for some people that it was an odd decision. But, but for me personally, it was the right one. I mean, my daughter has no memory of that now, of course, but um, and I do. And um, hopefully that gives some good foundations to her in later life. It's okay. I mean, my, my dad says that he uh, always woke up to change my diapers and that he did so much and was taking care of me. And I have no recollection of that either. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm sure that in my, in the, it must have impacted my unconscious. Yeah. Oh, so I wanted to know more about how you're raising your daughters. Um, I mean, how do you see your role as a father in shaping them and ensuring that they take their place in the world? Well, I think this is probably something true for everyone and, and, and for every parent. But um, what, what I try and do and, and what my wife tries, and tries to do is, is instill in our daughters this idea that they, you know, that they are perfect just as they are, that they are enough and that they have a beauty inside and a power inside. Because it's through that sense of deep confidence that I think they can then, or hope they can, then have the strength and resilience to deal with whatever comes at them in life. And actually, very often, when you look at um, even adults, very often behind various issues that people face is this sense that they are not enough and they are looking for reassurance or, or whatever it might be through all sorts of um, behaviors and other, and other sort of things whether it's addiction or whether it's uh, bullying others or in all, in all sorts of ways and I think so deep down we all crave that sense of being enough and I think if you can instill that early on that's the best that a parent can do I think and um, probably doubly mm -hmm. so for, yes. for for young girls who I mean already at the age of um, 10 11 are facing through social media and and other channels a lot of pressure in terms of body image and and so on and so and I found certainly with my daughters a lot of playground sort of um well, bullying and pressure to um quite quite emotionally um, pressure to fit in or, or not fit in and, and I think giving daughters that sense of inner confidence is probably the most important thing that we're trying to do anyway yes I think that's really that's really really important and I mean, those are definitely pressures that didn't exist, you know, when I was younger. So I can only imagine 
how much more environmental pressure there must be on young girls today if you consider not only their school environment, but also everything that they're getting online. Mm. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Teaching them how to navigate all that must be a very hard challenge. Yes, and I think we're always learning, aren't we? I mean, I think the other thing that probably my daughters have been exposed to, which is probably the same for any sort of entrepreneur couple, is they've seen the ups and downs in our own business. And I think hopefully they would have seen us being sort of agile and adapting quickly and staying calm and being focused and standing up for what is right and all that sort of stuff that hopefully that that itself is a life lesson for them and not necessarily specific to them being um you know, being women but certainly helpful hopefully to um to help them deal with things that might come at them in the future and can you tell me more about how it makes you want to change the world and put more positive things out there and how does this play into also the motivation for starting business fights poverty and it's an important project that you've started with your wife Yvette I think for all of us it's important to understand the fact that we as individuals have the power to shape the world around us but that if we can collaborate with others we can we can do even more and uh, and so it starts with us and our own actions but it it's, it, it comes down fundamentally to building Uh, human relationships and having kindness and respect and empathizing with others. Uh, in fact, our entire theory of change organization is founded on the idea of relationships, that any change you want to make happen starts with a human relationship. And so in a sense, that's what we try and do through our work is, is to, to make that. And obviously in our context, it's around, the con it's around the question of how can business fight poverty, but you could apply that to any context, I think. Um, You know, if, if we can make the connections so that people can access that collective understanding and collective knowledge and build the, the connections and relationships that enable them to, to make things happen, then that's the best that you know, I think we can do in terms of our contribution. And uh, I mean, talking a bit about, we were talking a bit earlier about the potential positive side effects of the uh, coronavirus. Another one is this idea that with social distancing, virtual connection has become even more important and i think that brings with it huge opportunities for scale and i think for our kids who are more tax savvy tech savvy than us that's very exciting because it means that going forward are there new ways that we can connect collaborate learn work so potentially a whole new era in a sense of of what we can do together so we try and bring that into our work and um, in terms of business rights poverty you know we started our life working with big corporates big brands charities and we very quickly realized that behind those big brands and big titles and, and all that are people just people like you know you and me and actually if we could help build the connections between those individuals then that's really where a lot of this change could happen and so that's really what we focus on in our work is trying to make those connections happen and through that try and unlock new opportunities for social impact and for hopefully shaping a better world that's that's really important and i think that connections are the key to our future and and working together and finding new ways to work together so i think it's yeah. a really really important area to be developing and i think crises like these even show us 
how how much we depend on on each other and and how much these connections are important and really it's it's more crucial than ever to have these different areas of the economy of society working together individuals business and ngos governments etc so i'm sure there's going to be a lot of opportunities for for your networks to make a huge difference but i wanted to get back to uh, your own inspiration because i know that you were very inspired in your professional career, because early in your career, you went to Zimbabwe and you were a secondary school teacher there. And, you know, one of the things that you saw was that it was really important to create opportunities and and not charity. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And I'm really curious to know if you saw any interesting gender dynamics or anything interesting about the needs of women when you were, when you had that experience in Zimbabwe as well? Yeah, I think, um, like you say, so I've had the, the good fortune of working in lots of different places um, in Zimbabwe, other places in Africa, also in Asia, Latin America, Caribbean. And I think the one thing that's a common feature that I've seen wherever I've been is is that people everywhere are looking for opportunity, not charity, as, as you put it, and and for dignity and respect and a chance to really to give their kids a good start in life. And you know, when business is done responsibly, it can be a really powerful vehicle to create opportunities whether it's from micro and small businesses as suppliers or distributors or for employer employees or for uh, customers for the products and services so i think you know that that is something that sort of um stayed with me throughout my career i, I remember actually one particular example where i was in tanzania it's going back a while now but i met this uh, woman who had started a business distributing soft drinks for a big international company I was really struck by her deep sense of dignity and pride when she talked about her business, the fact that she employed people in her community, the fact that she was able to send her daughter to school. And so I've seen firsthand when this is overlaid with a gender dynamic, the opportunity one can create for for empowering women economically and, and through that um, more broadly. So I, I think um, business, you know, through their through the core business business that they they operate in, but also in other ways, I think can be a, a really important partner in, in driving more gender equality. So, yeah, so I think I think that's um, something I'd say, something that's really sort of struck me from my own travels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more and more convinced, that as I, convinced by that as I hear more stories of people taking action in this space. Yes, uh, and I, I also think that right now we're, t- we're talking about the power of business and the power of a woman uh, having economic opportunity, which is really important, has a multiplier effect because she also hires other people, uh, serves as a role model in the community, maybe serves other women through her products and services. But having a business and having economic independence is also crucial to prevent gender inequality and other uh, factors such as violence against women, etc. So it's a really huge role that we can play if we foster women-led businesses, the community at at large, and it it can be a huge opportunity for women in in many other ways as well. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. And I know that you also had a very unique personal experience arriving in the UK as an immigrant when you were three years old and growing up somewhat as an outsider, which obviously played a very strong role 
in Building Business Fights Poverty as a way of connecting other people. Can you tell us a bit more about that? And I'm also curious if it has made you more sensitive and aware towards inclusion and gender issues. Yeah, so I've got quite an unusual background. I think it's something like seven different countries that I'm sort of made up from. But wow. uh, <laughs> my, I've just done uh, did a DNA test, and it's actually even bigger than that. Uh, I think I cover most continents, more or less. But uh, but I think the the point is that that's that's sort of history to my family spanning countries and races and religions and having arrived in the UK as an immigrant as you as you mentioned and now I live in Spain in the era of Brexit I've always felt like I didn't quite belong and that sense of um, not belonging I think probably in a way has driven me to want to create belonging for others and maybe that's the deep root of business fights poverty is is knowing that's you know what it feels like in a sense is 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 maybe driving me to want to um, help connect other people. And as we just talked about in the current context, that sense of urgency to respond is really, you know, it needs a movement of people to have that that size of impact that we need to have and to hopefully build that better from this. And so I think that, as we just discussed, I think the need for connection probably is greater now than ever. But um, but yeah, I think in, in my case, you know, to your to your question, I think probably... I am more sensitive, perhaps, to other people who also feel like they don't belong. And actually, I think that's quite a lot of people, for whatever reason, whether it's their gender or their mm. ethnicity or whatever. It's it's quite amazing when you get below the surface of most people, there is that, that sense somewhere. So um, I think you know, as, as just as human beings, you know, we, we crave that sense of connection. I think that's possibly why it's so difficult right now, where we're confined to our respective homes. It's probably the thing that's sort of hardest is is not being being able to collect, connect uh, in the ways we were before, and it's something I'm looking forward to doing, you know, not too distant future. But yeah, it's it's a very sort of deep human um, feature, but, it's, but one I've I've certainly felt quite personally myself. Yeah, that's really that's really really powerful because I do think that especially as the world is is mixing in in many ways there are also many ways to feel excluded and like you said it's it's not just a question of ethnicity or gender or religion or there are many other factors that can make give one that feeling so that's why it's really really important to work on inclusion and speaking of that, you know, I'm very curious about this because obviously your life experience transformed you. So, I mean, you lived it on your own skin. So that's what taught you your way of thinking and transformed you to saying, I want a business that is this way and that does this and transforms the world so that more people feel included, so that it's more flexible for people, all of this. And what I've noticed through many of the interviews that I've done on this podcast is that often experience in coming from a minority background transformed you into having greater awareness about inclusion issues, about gender, et cetera, or seeing somebody who is very close to you going through that also gives you this awareness. But what about all the CEOs, politicians, managers, just individuals in the street, our neighbors, who have not experienced this? How can we teach them 
And how can we educate them? Because I think a lot of people, maybe they're not acting in the right way or they're not thinking about these issues, but a lot of it is because they're not aware, not because they do not have good intentions. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think I think nowadays, so on a positive note, I think with travel and tourism and the internet and music and film and the arts and so on, I think people are more conscious than ever of that rich diversity in our world. And actually, so going back again to the coronavirus, you know, if, if there's something else positive, it's this idea that we are connected, who are, and it's affecting everyone, whoever they are, wherever they are, whatever their background, and decide that we have to solve mm-hmm. this together. I think. So I think there are certain drivers that are are broadening people's minds. However, I think one of the things that we do need to do maybe more actively, and it's something that we try and do through our work, is you can actually bring together quite a diverse set of people who maybe are from different sides of a divide, whether it's a business or a charity or from you know, one walk of life or another. And if you can bring them together to identify and solve a problem together that act of co-creation of being a team working on a shared challenge actually in itself helps open up that awareness and knowledge and understanding and empathy that maybe wasn't there before so i think there may be ways that we can help those people you've described to better understand and um know that themselves and their own biases and ways of thinking but also the perspectives of others so i think there are active things we can do to to deal with that but i think like you were implying i think deep down i think a lot of people would understand the issues we're talking about and it's just about giving them the opportunity to raise their awareness and to take action yeah i like that notion that you brought up which i think could be useful for a lot of companies as well about designing experiences, right? making them work on a challenge together, because I think experience is really important in changing people's minds. I don't think we can tell people to think in a different way and they will think that way. They have mm-hmm. to sort of be transformed and experience has the power of transforming. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, back to my, my example, I think if you, you can't say to people, you must build a relationship with each other. But actually, if you are working together to solve something you both care about, that that relationship builds very organically and authentically. And before you know it, uh, you've got a room full of human beings who care about something. So, so I think there are ways to structure that that more experiential approach that results in these relationships rather than forcing forcing people to to um, mm. build those relationships directly. So I think it's um, yeah, it's interesting. I think that's something I'm fascinated about increasingly is how how do you get people to collaborate and come together around around these sorts of issues yeah and that's something certainly something that you're promoting in a way with your challenges and through business fights poverty so (laughs) you're certainly moving businesses in that direction as well which is which is very positive and on the other hand why do you see more businesses today wanting to lead on social issues has it become something really important for businesses yeah, well, I think it's it's impossible to group all businesses into one. I think there are some businesses who are more driven by risk and say the impacts of inequality and climate change on their costs or their ability to do business. There are more progressive ones that way who are thinking about how their business can actually contribute to improving the situation. So as a minimum, by doing no harm, 
but more importantly, by actively doing good. And I think perhaps the most exciting trend right now is is this emergence of businesses who are trying to do good through their core business, um, launching commercial innovations that solve for the for society's biggest challenges at scale. And um, that's something we're seeing more of. And it's, yeah, really, really exciting. Wow, that's very positive and encouraging to hear. And do you think companies can help us lead on achieving SDG 5, which is gender equality and empowerment for all women and girls? Yeah, well, I think it's obviously a collective effort driven by government, by civil society, and business has an important role to play in that mix. Um, and as I always say, in terms of where business can make it make the most difference, it's probably these three different ways. And actually, this comes out of work that um, Jay Nelson at the uh, Corporate Responsibility Initiative at Harvard Kennedy School has, has sort of um, developed some time ago, but we, we still use it quite a lot in our own thinking. But it's basically the first is around how a company can use their core business. So in the context of gender equality and how do they treat their employees, uh, how do they create an inclusive workplace, how do they engage their suppliers, who do they engage their suppliers, and the same for distributors, um, how do they communicate with their customers through their brands and their advertising, how do they try and shift social norms through those messages? How do they develop products and services and technologies to create opportunity? Obviously, what we talked about earlier, whether it's improving health outcomes or livelihood opportunities or education and learning and, and so on. So there's a number of things that businesses, businesses can do through their core business. I think secondly, it's around through their philanthropy, their community investment, and especially when that's strategically um, aligned to where they can have the most impact. And third, it's through their policy engagement. And I think this is really important. And over the last few years, really has mm-hmm. come to the fore. Now, how do businesses stand up on issues they care about? We talked earlier, Kiara, about how, in a sense, our grandparents, our grandmothers, our mothers fought for gender equality. There is by no means a guaranteed pathway that this will continue forever. And in fact, we've seen in the last few years, politicians who are actively pushing in the opposite direction. It will take all of us to stand up for the world we want to see, and that goes for business. And in fact, all the studies show that customers and employees expect business to stand up on those sorts of issues. And I think that's a really important role for business to play in in partnership with civil society. And um, gender is obviously one of those important issues that it can do that on. And I, I imagine that in, since you started Business Fights Poverty, you've probably seen the issue of gender equality become more and more integrated into the core values of the company. Yeah, so it's, um, I mean, gender has always been a top priority, I'd say, amongst our community and amongst our supporter organizations, just in terms of the topics that people bring forward, and also in terms of popularity of the sorts of things that we publish. As you know, you know our broad approach is basically we refer it to as purposeful collaboration, but it's basically about bringing the right people to co-create solutions to shared questions, essentially. And a number of those have been on, on gender. You know, we looked at issues like the role of men as allies in advancing gender equality, which um, you know, is a recent piece of work. We've looked at the role of business in tackling gender-based violence. We've looked at the role of business in creating livelihoods for women-owned enterprises, and we'll continue to do more in that area. I mean, right now, we're focusing very much on the impact of COVID-19 on gender-based violence and the likely spike that we're going to see. And in fact, we've got uh, a sort of online discussion that uh, we're running around that topic. Um, so actually, if anyone's listened to this 
and uh, has an expertise on that subject, we you know we sort of ask them to step forward and and share that expertise and their examples and uh, to help us um, deal with that issue. So um, yeah, so it's it's been a topic that we've we've cared about for a long time and I think continues to be an important one uh, for our entire network. Yeah, that's a that's a it's a very very important issue and. And it seems like you're tackling it with a lot of different challenges that tackle the issue from a lot of different angles. So, and just to remind people, challenges are designed to create connection at a practical level to solve problems and to make change happen, bringing different stakeholders together to contribute to reports, content, et cetera. And all of this content that you just talked about is also available for people for free on, on your website. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And actually right now, we actually this week, we're launching um, five different strands of work around coronavirus, which is looking at different aspects of where we can crowdsource the intelligence in our community to inform immediate decision making by companies and others, and also hopefully uh, medium term decisions that will help us build that better. And those cover issues like gender, like how you support workers, small businesses, uh, how you support NGO partners, um, how you promote uh, measures to tackle the spread of the virus and so on. So, And that's a very rapid process. And, and from that, we'll be creating toolkits that will be used by companies. I've already heard of companies using these to find their own approaches. So this is a moment for everyone to stand up in real time and, uh, and get involved in, in um, helping us through this. Great. And just to go get back to your, your your approach, at the core of Mrs. Fights Poverty are transformative partnerships, which bring together stakeholders in the community. Can you tell us why this is important to build transformative partnerships on issues such as gender equality? And do you have any ins- inspiring examples of of partnerships that you've helped build in the years? Yes, I think it's important to distinguish between what I would describe as transactional partnerships. Those are where, say, you contract an organization to deliver part of your program. And you see that quite a lot. You know, a company will, will partner in inverted commas with a charity um, to essentially deliver a service to its stakeholders. So that's, that's the traditional form of partnership. But I think the more exciting type of partnership are what we would describe as transformational ones, where a company and a uh, non-government organization sit down together and define the problem, and then define a way to solve it together in a way that's authentic and draws on their mutual competencies, and is flexible and ambitious. And I think that there are some really interesting examples of that emerging, still quite rare, but um, I think in terms of the frontier, that's really what, what we want to be seeing more of. Um, in terms of examples, I mean, there's, there's actually quite, um, listed quite a number on our website actually and, and including in the context of the current situation we're actually next week we're launching a database of about 200 different things that businesses are doing in this space but but on on uh, more generally a couple of my favorites one is um the work that care has been doing care international around uh, its work with rural cocoa producers in west africa the cargill and also with barclays and gsk on supporting community health entrepreneurs to tackle healthcare issues in um, in Zambia and um, both of those examples of care they really sat down and thought about what is the issue what can we bring and what difference can we make and, and another example I like is is um, uh, Save the Children and GSK came together around this mission to save the lives to help save the lives of a million children and 
and in the process have created a new product, which essentially it involves a reformulation of chlorhexidine, which is an antiseptic used in um, GSK's mouthwash. And they've mm. turned that into a to prevent umbilical cord infections that can potentially lead to life-threatening uh, you know, neonatal sepsis. And they work together to not only develop that product, but to understand the packaging and the marketing so they reach mothers and carers in low, low literacy settings. So, so that is a really inspiring example of, of what can be achieved if you just sit down and say, we're going to do something big together and we're going to be flexible about how we do it. And we're going to be committed over the long term to making a difference. And I think we're seeing more of those emerging. And as I say, um, you know, we'd love to see more of them emerging. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really important thing for people to think about if they are starting out on the partnership journey is to rather than take a contracting model, transactional model, think about how you can be transformative in terms of your ambition and in terms of the way you try and deliver that ambition. Yes. And those are great examples because I don't think companies think enough about reaching out to local NGOs and, and wealth of knowledge and information and and brain power that they could achieve if if they did. So I think the the collaboration is very, very important. And Zahid, you've told us a lot of great things. Thank you so much for sharing all this. I had one last question. What do you think men can do to think more about the subject of gender equality in their own lives and becoming change agents for gender equality in their lives? How can we each be the change that we want to see? Yeah, great question. I suppose there's perhaps um, maybe there's three three ways specifically. One is at the individual level. I think reflect on the way you behave and act as an individual. Think about how you can create a safe space to talk about gender equality and, and issues related to that in a way that really challenges mindsets, assumptions, and behaviors. And we're always having to challenge our own assumptions in in this in this process. And as I was mentioning earlier. That might also be around the role of male stereotypes as much as it is about female stereotypes. But to mm-hmm. take action at the individual level, and that might be in the context of your own family or, or um, friends or, or whatever. I think beyond that, if you are in a position to do so in your organisation, you know, make commitments publicly and measure that transparently, create, if you can, inclusive working practices and policies and um, you know, be very mindful over how you integrate that into your into your business, whether it's a small business or a big multinational. And I'd say thirdly, it's about standing up in society generally and, and really advocating for change, calling out bad behaviour, bad policies uh, that undermine equality and, and, and that promote harmful stereotypes. And I think there's, especially now, we need to stand up as individuals and, and collectively for the things we care about and for the world that we want to leave for our daughters and um, for, our, for our kids. So, so, yeah, I think there's, there's plenty that can be done by each of us and now is the time to do it. Yeah, that's very, that's very deep. And has, I'm very curious, has this COVID-19 situation changed you as a human and as a father? It's a good question. I think obviously at one level, we're all in lockdown in our respective houses and families. I've actually really enjoyed having that time with the family at home without having to travel and uh, and so on. So at one level, just that very practical co-location has, has, been, has been nice. I think more broadly, when you see such a major threat to humanity of a, le- a level and scale that we have not seen in our lifetimes and perhaps even in our parents' lifetimes, 
it makes you realize that um, you have to stand up and lean into the issue and uh, do whatever you can, uh, whatever that is. And I think when we look back on this moment in years to come, the people who stand up now are the ones that will be recognized and that we will, we will appreciate. And the ones who do not stand up now, we'll never forgive. And that, that, that applies to an individual, it applies to a company, it applies to everyone. Uh, this is not the time to sit on the sidelines or to be or to dither or to be negative, but it's a time to to act. And for everyone, that means something different, but it just means doing something and doing it now. Well, thank you. That's uh, very inspiring. And thank you for all the action that you've been taking. <laughs> a lot of these issues. No, thank you. Thank you for all of your great work in this area. I think the work you do is, is has never been more important as it is right now. Yes, and and hopefully through through this podcast, I hope that it will help bring the awareness that's going to make people want to change things. Thank you, Kiara. Thank you. And that's all for this episode. Please subscribe, leave us a review, or get in touch on email. Kiara at kiaracondi.com.